Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Morgan Uncensored. Knife crime and shoplifting are at epidemic levels. How do we tackle the deadly breakdown in respect for authority? Bambi's on ice because of, yes, snowflakes. Disney's remake of the cartoon classic could cut its famous death scene because, you guessed it, it's too triggering for sensitive young modern audiences. Business is exactly the kind of pandering that makes everyone so sensitive in the first place. We'll discuss. Plus, the superstar powerlifter April Hutchinson faces being kicked out of her sport because she had the audacity to complain about competing with biological men. Tonight, she's speaking out. She joins me live. Live from the news building in London, this is Piers Morgan Uncensored. Well, good evening, London. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. We spend a lot of time in this country wringing our hands about American gun violence. How can this be happening in 2023? We ask repeatedly, tragedy after tragedy. Why does it seem like nothing ever gets done? Well, guns aren't widely available in Britain, but knives are. And we increasingly have a deadly and terrifying recurring problem of our own. Last week, 15-year-old Eliane Andam was stabbed to death at a bus stop in Croydon, London. She was just trying to get to school. Last week, there were two other stabbings in that one tiny corner of London, and yes, clearly the capital has a specific and serious problem with knife crime. It's not just London. A 16-year-old boy was stabbed to death in Luton last week. Five teenagers were wounded in two shocking knife attacks there on the same day. This weekend, there was a triple stabbing in Halifax. Two young people are dead. One 21, the other just 19. Two men were stabbed to death in Leeds. Barely a day passes without more of this bloodshed. And this is the kind of response we get every time. My number one priority, uh, and the thing that keeps me up at night, is uh, the safety of Londoners. So it's not just about policing. It's not just about stop and search. That's fantastically important. It's also about wrapping your arms around the kids and putting them on the right track. The death of anyone through an act of violence is an appalling tragedy. I want to say how shocked and saddened I am that three people have lost their lives. Just words, isn't it? Just word salad putting arms around them. Is that going to stop kids stabbing each other? It's not, is it? We all know that. For all the condolences and the talk of getting tough, the fact is the people who want to hurt us no longer fear the consequences if they do. Police numbers are down, budgets have been slashed. They've stopped taking everyday crimes even remotely seriously. When the Home Secretary announced last month that police must investigate all thefts, it was supposed to be a huge innovation. 
My question would be, what the hell were they doing before? Shoplifting is now out of control in Britain. Store thefts have more than doubled, and they're only getting worse. In America, it's the same issue. Emboldened by absurd policies on not prosecuting minor offenders, shoplifting, especially of the steaming variety, with dozens and dozens of shoplifters entering a store at one time, has become an epidemic. It's little wonder that Donald Trump got an ovation over the weekend for saying this. And we will immediately stop all of the pillaging and theft. Very simply, if you rob a store, you can fully expect to be shot as you are leaving that store. I don't think shooting shoplifters is the right response. I don't think guns are the right response, but there does need to be a response. We're dealing with a systematic breakdown of fear and respect of authority at the very same time as a failing economy means desperate people are more willing to, ri to risk more. The result is chaos, fear and tragedy. It's got to stop. So the question is how? Well, joining me now is my pack. Talk to me contributor Esther Cracker, the socialist author Grace Blakely, political journalist Ava Santina, and for the US perspective, the former wrestler and Fox News star Tyrus. Well, welcome to all of you. Tyrus, let me start with you. What is causing all this? In America, sure. young people invading stores with total impunity because they know there's no real consequence. Uh, here we have an endemic now of knife crime, young kids stabbing each other. America has obviously ongoing huge gun violence problems. The, the common theme in all of them is there is a, a in, in my opinion, a smaller and smaller estimation by the people carrying out all this stuff that there will be any real accountability for it. Well, and you're brilliant as always, but I, here's the thing. We got two things in common. We have knives in England and we have guns in America, two very different violent weapons. But what we have in common is we have awful people. We have horrible parenting. Grandparents are afraid of their grandchildren. A complete breakdown of, of our consequences for our children, which starts at home. We've got the bulldozer parents in, in America where if a kid does something at school, they want the teacher fired, not the child uh, punished. So, and you can see that when they're growing up and now you have no consequences. Uh, when they are arrested, they're released in America. If you steal, I think it's like $500 to $900 American, uh, it's not considered a crime anymore. So that's the, the, the biggest problem is that we have to start realizing it's not the weapons and the utilities they use. If we took knives away in England, they'd probably use trucks and cars or bats. It's horrible people. We have awful people in, in, in this first world uh, that we, and the, they have so many things they can do. They don't have to work hard for anything, and there's no consequences. These are first world problems coming back to bite us uh, in countries that are successful because in, in third world countries and things like that, when you steal, when you do horrible things, there are real consequences. You steal a lot, you lose a hand in some cases. So uh, just the idea of that will refrain people. But right now, our kids uh, across the sea in America basically feel they can do whatever they want, and there's no parenting. It's horrible parenting. Right. All right, Grace, I can see a lot of facial expressions going on there. There have always been horrible people. You know, it's very easy to look at the situation and say, oh, it's just because we've suddenly been giving birth to loads more horrible people. That obviously isn't the case. If we look at this, you know, just objectively, if we look at the facts, if we look at the statistics, the studies on what causes violent crime, the single biggest predictor across the board of levels of violent crime across time and space is inequality. Why? It's not just because people are poorer and they want, you know, to access more stuff. That is a problem. It's because in a society that denies particularly young men access to advancement, 
then violent crime becomes something of a status symbol. This is borne out across sociological studies across time and space. It becomes, you know, um, there's an incentive to kind of steal, uh, kill someone than to steal their trainers because the it becomes is, a status I, symbol. I, I, because we haven't got those I roots for advancement of the young men. Because, I mean, Tyrus touched on a point in saying that in third world countries, you don't necessarily have this problem because there are actual social consequences, which I think is an important point he touched on. When I was a kid growing up in Ghana, if you stole something in our neighborhood, it doesn't matter who, who finds out, whether it's your neighbor or someone else, once your, your family gets to know, there will be consequences. Yeah. Sometimes your neighbor might discipline you. The issue here is a breakdown of legal and social consequences, and that's what we're missing. I there agree, actually. Be, there, has, there has to be ostracization and actual social consequences for stealing, but there also has to be legal penalties, real ones that I are agree. actually terrifying. I mean, I've got to say, I've come round. I mean, Tyrus <clears throat> talked about third-world countries. You look at someone like Singapore or Hong Kong, I've walked the streets of these places at midnight, right? You just don't get this kind of stuff yeah. there because the penalties, if you do, are severe. And I keep being told by the wishy-washy brigade, Ava, look, you know, you, you, you can't be too tough on these kids. You've got to be... A... Actually, why? Why don't we just say, right, the next time a young kid is caught with a knife on the street, they get 10 years in prison. I can tell you, it would soon stop. Well, and it, it may could. sound like I'm, I've, I've morphed criminals. into a right-wing headbanger. I can assure you most people in this country would share that sentiment. So why aren't we doing tougher things like that. Well, I don't know. The extreme of your argument is we turn into Saudi Arabia and then we just throw away anyone who might, you know, look like they're committing a crime or then we execute them. Which I'm not saying that. I'm talking about know. people Sorry, carrying a knife extreme, with intent to use it argument. not for cutting up their your, cheddar cheese. And then on your point there about 10 years, well, we've got a prison system at the moment that doesn't work. It doesn't rehabilitate people. And at the moment, we are turfing people out. Sorry, we're throwing them into prison and they're coming out the other side and we are, mm. they're, they're not rehabilitating. They're going back to commit more crimes. So how are you going to stop, how are you gonna stop the well, kids stabbing I, I each think, other? I think it goes back to what I think it's a social issue. I think that we've got to really tackle inequality. You know, we've got to look at this long term rather than thinking, what's the short term solution? Throw everyone, like, you know, lock everyone up and throw away the key. Hang on, I'll come to us. Before we look, inequality seems to me, with great respect, one of those vacuous generic terms, like a sort of catch all excuse Piss. for what is going on here. I know lots of kids who come from poor backgrounds who do not go around stabbing people because their parents. And this can apply, by the way, to, to uh, lower-class people, to middle-class people, to so-called upper-class people. I went to a fee-paying school till I was 13, then state uh, comprehensive school. I've seen all manner of people, right, and parents. The common theme of kids that behaved well or at least felt shame and accountability if they were caught doing bad things was strong parenting, yes. right? Teachers, yes, and authority, yes, but actually strong parenting. I've just explained to you the... But that's the, not about equality. No, it, it is. It's about it's the, the mechanism through which equality affect, inequality affects violent crime. You know, you it's can not say, about equality. You can say, for example, you know, um, not, everyone, not every kid who's been in institutional care is going to end up on the streets. But we know, statistically speaking, that children who've been in institutional care so are, are much you, more are likely to end up strong, on the streets. Are you promoting strong families? What I'm saying families? is there is a clear and causal link between the things that happen to you as a child that accounts well, because, for because, things because that, like that, whether or not you're in a strong community, whether or not you're in a strong family, but also... I would say... I, OK, but I would say... what happens to you I when you're I would say things like successive governments, Labour and Conservatives, selling off playing fields. 
by the dozen, right? Cutting back on sport, cutting back... I did a documentary on hoodies, right? Kids that wear hoodies and and commit uh, a lot of crime. And a lot of these kids, when I interviewed them, said, well, there are no, like, youth clubs anymore, right? They just shut them all down. Totally. So there's nothing else to do. They yeah, get bored. No, but it's, but also, think, it's think... also the internet, isn't it? Like, I don't want to sound like some sort of, like, draconian figure, but, you know, it is the rise of social media. And if you are in an algorithm and you're on TikTok or Instagram that is promoting violence to you, you're, you, you do sit in an echo chamber. Oh, let me bring in Taras, because you've been listening to this, Taras. I think you want to add some more on this. Hey, let me just say... Let me say this again. She has... Absolutely no idea what she's talking about, with all due respect. Which one? Because it it's could be one of the I think he's talking about me. You've got to narrow it down here. The feeling's mutual. It's the community. That's what has broken down. They're spoiled. Everyone spends all their time on social media and Facebooks, and they say, oh, it's in quality. I grew up in Lynn, Massachusetts, ghetto slum USA, but you know what? We had strong families and parents, and we were poor, but we didn't act poor. We worked hard, we paid our dues, and we got things together. Now, everyone makes excuses. If your kid's bad, he's not a bad child, you're not a bad parent, he has something wrong with him that you can't correct. So it has nothing to do with inequality. That's just a good answer from first world virtue signaling elites to say, because you can't fix that. I've got to say, Taurus, probably long overdue that Grace Blakely was called... Everyone that band had some form of inequality. It's ridiculous. I I agree with you. And and it's it's, it's tight... Being it's raised high, by lazy people. I agree. Period. It's high time Grace Blakely was called a first world elite as well. <laughs> it's like I've been waiting for that taunt. Uh, look, I got, I've got to just, say, sorry, I agree with Tyrus. It's so easy. No, simply saying it's inequality. And say, it's so much easier to so how do you and explain, say, lock them up, throw away the queen. Well, look how well, tough well, I, I am. How do you My explain, society, Grace, cut off your hand if you I can give it's you, just you, easy. How do you explain? It doesn't change anything. It's not How do you explain, if it's all about inequality, that so many people who have very little in life in this country do not commit these crimes. Because it is about a whole set of factors that determine, you know, the the way in which you were raised and then the kind of okay, characteristics I, you have when you grow up. Look, again, it's the same thing. It's what I just said. We know that children who grow up in institutional care are much more likely to then go out onto the streets, end up on the streets, end up homeless, end up taking drugs, end up mm. interacting with the criminal justice system. That isn't to say that every kid who has a, you know, who is in, in institutional care is going to end up but that way. Is, but we know that if you don't experience love, community support, the biggest point here is culture because I can I can paint two different pictures here. If we look at the black community in the UK. You actually look at the the sort of uh, crim- um, the rates of criminality amongst Black African children um, um, compared to Black Caribbean children, and there's a huge disparity. And one of the biggest reasons is because of culture, because some kids, uh, kids in one particular group grow up in, with church growing, church going families mm-hmm. with strong values. You know, if you go and tr- carry a knife around and your Nigerian mother mm-hmm. finds you, you will probably get slapped across the face. And you have other, the, um, the other side of the um, the spectrum that don't actually have that, and you can see huge disparities there. So it actually comes down to culture. I don't disagree with you, but the question is, how do we then build supportive you have cultures? To change, you for- have- you young have, people you to have, exist. You have to actually it means build investing communities. in communities. I agree. Yeah. We've just said the but same it's thing. A public health but you issue. also no. But you also have to you have to penalise uh, uh, criminality in a very severe way. There is no reason why someone should be able to get carry a knife yeah, on the street. What happens when they get released from prison? What happens when they come system? out the other side uh, and they not... find themselves homeless and they don't have any money? Well, what next, do they do? Next they time you're not going to carry around a knife, then are you? No, but you are going to commit another crime. I mean, in the US, you can get literally shot or asphyxiated just for failing to stop for police cars. There's still an epidemic of knife crime here. It can be. What worries me about the knife crime, it's getting worse here and they're acting with more impunity and more kids are carrying knives. So at some point, we've got, as a society, yes, we can lecture the Americans about their gun violence, 
and I've done that many times. And this is I think gun it's, violence, it's police I think violence. it's nuts they don't do more. I also think it's nuts we don't do more about knife violence here. I mean, look, the Americans literally give police forces so much money. They give them, like, assault rifles, these massive weapons, you know, weapons that are used in literal mm. states of war, and yet that isn't... Solving the problem. Yeah, because you can't solve All right, let's move on to another act of uncontrollable violence. So, uh, Bambi is being redone. <laughs> and, uh, and it's after the break, apparently. We're going to talk about Bambi and why the death scene, Bambi's mum cops it, is now being written out because, you guessed it, people are going to get triggered. Little sensitive snowflakes can't deal with an actual death. God help them. What do they do in the real world when people actually die for real? Anyway, we'll debate that after the break. <laughs> well, joined again by Jordan Peterson, I get a sense of somebody quite angry with the state of the world. I'm absolutely appalled that the globalist utopian elitists would sacrifice the poor to save the planet. This war on the patriarchy, what are your thoughts on that? Females who are antisocial use reputation savaging, bullying and exclusion to gain their narcissistic pathway forward. How do you feel about that influence that you have? You better be careful. We're coming for your children there, buddy. Let's just get it on the table. Do you believe in God? I don't think that's anybody's business. For some reason, you're reluctant to say. It's too complicated an issue to be dealt with like that. Now you did it again. You got me again. God well, damn it. What could be worse than dying? Being a prison guard at Auschwitz? How much sex is optimal? Depends on how the date goes, man. You should know that. This is so interesting. Maybe it's worth sticking around for and trudging through the misery just to see how it ends. Welcome back to Piers Morgan, our sense of that is a brilliant interview with Jordan Peterson. Uh, it was a year ago I first interviewed him, but it airs tomorrow night and Wednesday night. It's a double header. The first half is me and Jordan one-on-one. -on -one. You just saw some of the clips from that. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, with the most brilliant mind, really, and fascinating mind and a challenging mind. So whatever you think of him, tune in and you'll be surprised. And then his daughter joins us. She's become a huge star as well, Michaela. And part two on Wednesday night will be the two of them together. And what's really interesting about that is the way they interact with each other. So uh, a two-parter, the Petersons, uh, two of the most famous and influential people in the world right now. Uh, and on Thursday, another surprise, and we'll tease that a little later in the programme. Well, Disney's Bambi is led as victim of the woke war on culture. A screenwriter hired to remake the classic says the movie's most famous scene in which Bambi's mother sadly dies could be scrapped as this triggering for modern-day parents and their children. She elaborated in this interview with Kaleido. What's interesting about Bambi to me is it absolutely is a classic. It's such a gorgeous film. It's a little bit different tempo than I think um, modern audiences are used to. And I also think there's a... There's there's a treatment of the not to spoil the plot, but there's a there's a there's a treatment of the mom dying that I think some kids some parents these days are more sensitive about than they were in yes. in the past, and I think that's one of the reasons that they haven't shown it to their children. But our take on it was um, did give a little bit more uh, of a, of a scope to it, and I just think that to be able to bring it to life for kids these days in a way that maybe they relate to a little bit more would would be of, of service to the original. 
How's she going to feel when I order venison for my dinner tonight? Children are facing an epidemic of anxiety, apparently. It's maybe because we feel the need to protect them so ridiculously much all the time. Now from Bambi. To discuss this, I'm joined by Outkick host Tommy Lehrer, the author for The Case for Cancel Culture, Ernest Owens. Well, welcome to both of you from across the pond. All right, Ernest, uh, you've defended the indefensible a few times on this programme, but come on, for goodness sake, we're going to try and airbrush the reality of... Bambi's mum getting slotted? What's the matter with you? Well, there's nothing wrong with me. I think that the reality is that as society evolves, we should also think about, you know, the impact. You know, we are in a different type of world now. You know, there's a lot of violence on TV. There's a lot of, of grotesqueness. And I think that this classic film should be seen by a, with a different perspective for kids. I think that the death scene isn't necessarily the thing that they should be fixated on. I think there's something to be said about how, you know, children deal with death and, and death scenes compared to adults like you and I. And I think that this is a very smart move. I think it's a move that is considerate. I think that it shows progress. And I think, to be honest, you know, I think some parents would rather have that conversation with their children yeah, Ernest, in the Ernest, privacy of their home rather than Ernest, having these films, Ernest, you know, kind what, of traumatize Ernest, them. what's next? Are you going to remake Jules and make sure the shark doesn't eat anyone in case someone's triggered and can't go swimming? It's nuts. Uh, Tommy, this is just nuts, isn't it? It's nuts, and I would also like to say I wish they would stop remaking Disney classics. We talked about this, I think, a couple months back, this remake, the Snow White. Yeah. They have to make it for woke audiences. Does Disney really not have any other ideas? Can they not come up with anything new that they have to remake all the classics? So that's my first point on it. And second of all, I believe in protecting children. I just find it quite interesting that the same woke liberals that are worried about this hunting scene in Bambi have no problem exposing children to gay porn and LGBTQ themes, telling them that they are born in the wrong body, encouraging them to be non-binary. I mean, really, I'm waiting for this Bambi remake to have Bambi as a trans deer or maybe the mother died from climate change. So again, the things that the left and the liberals are triggered by always astounds me. I think that there are far worse things you can expose children to that the left is exposing children to than a hunting scene that's actually a reality of life, especially here in the United States with a lot of hunters, love it or hate it, that is a fact of, of where we are in this country and I think in many places around the world. Do you know what, Ernest, I think you've been persuaded by that argument. I can see you nodding away furiously. I, I, I... I think this is ridiculously homophobic and transphobic. I think, for starters, I'm gay, and me being here talking isn't exposing children to anything. But if I was to pull out a gun as a hunter and shoot a, a deer for a kid to see, I think that's going to cause more harm to a child than just me just basically but existing Ernest, and living Ernest, my life. Ernest, um, I think Ernest. it's ridiculous to make that conflation Ernest. between... That's you know, gay porn to a, a, a deer being killed when in reality, no one is actually promoting gay porn. No one from the left is encouraging that for children. And to conflate those things in that way is intellectually dishonest and immature and problematic. Ernest, we literally had Snow White and the Seven Dwarves redone recently and they airbrushed all the dwarves out of the movie, right? Because apparently they wanted to be, they wanted to be inclusive. The people they didn't include were the actual dwarves who then now were out of work. This you is where this old version. You know what you you know what you could do. You could rather than whining about new things, you can just go and stay stuck in 1939 and watch yes. the Disney animated film. On I Disney would love Plus. to. You could do that. I would love you to, can do Ernest. That. And and other people can watch. And other people. I would love can watch to. The and then I can watch my Disney that's films. That's what we have. But Ernest, then I can watch my Disney films without people like you ruining them.
right? And trying listen, to pretend that some kids can't watch, a, the, can't watch Pierce, Bambi's mum being Pierce, killed. Piers, I hear that. Piers, I miss the old Piers Morgan. I used to interview Beyonce and hang out with the liberals in Hollywood and be nice. Yes. But now I have this new Piers when it's unleashed. And guess what? There's there's value in both for some people. No, Look, I'm one of the... we can have two things at the same time. I'm one, Ernest, I'm one of these ostracised liberals where I used to think I was liberal <laughs> and then the woke... <laughs> left came along, and I realised, actually, <laughs> by their yardstick, I'm right of Attila the Hun. Because I think everything they do wrecks society. I really do. And when you go back think, and remake well, a Disney classic, and but, you, but, you but presume Piers, that Piers, kids you, can't you, deal Piers, with the death of a deer, Piers, you're proving I think my point. you've all gone mad. But, Piers, you're... No, Piers, you're proving my point. Things evolve, right? And so there's a new version of you that you think has evolved. And this creator who's creating the Bambi film thinks this can evolve. And there's going to be people that say, I miss the old No, Pierce Ernest, Morgan. you're missing the point. I want the old show, the Ernest, CNA days. Ernest, no, I think that's the point. We can, Ernest, we can let two things exist. Just to be clear, I haven't evolved at all. I'm exactly the same as I always was. It's just the people I used to I agree with so. have broadly gone mad. Uh, Tommy, the problem with this is it's a real <laughs> slippery slope, I think. Once you start going after <laughs> every classic, it's a bit like every historical figure. They're all flawed. There's no American president in history who won't be cancelled by this yardstick. There's no founding father that won't be cancelled. There is no film that won't They're be cancelled. They're dead. No, hang on, Ernest. They're dead. Hang on, Ernest. This is a fictional film. It doesn't, this is a no, fictional film. Bambi's mother's dead, Ernest. Wake up. Tommy. Yes. Tommy. They're this dead. is for yes. Tommy. They're dead. This is for Tommy. I know they're dead. So is Bambi's mum. And she should stay yeah, dead a, every time again, you watch a movie. Tommy. I also think... I also... <laughs> Tommy. I think that there are, you know, more problematic things to have to explain to children besides the death of animals. I think that that is the circle of life. I think we learned that in The Lion King. We learned that from a lot of Disney classics. But, you know, in the last segment, you were talking about the looting and the rioting and the shoplifting. Yeah. Kids are exposed to that every single day, certainly in the United States. And I don't hear liberals worried about them being exposed to that. They call that justice, right? Yes. But they're worried about a scene oh, in which God. Bambi's mom dies. I mean, the priority again to me are so astounding yeah I completely agree uh, the, reach, the reach is to me outstanding the reach the reach you're conflating looters to people who don't want a Bambi scene like this is a reach you should be stressed let's leave it on a reach uh, Ernest always good to catch up with you Tommy great to see you too thank you both very much indeed alright uh, my pack you were sort of convulsing the three of you <laughs> about this debate. Oh, no, but, but Ava, at the heart of this debate lies a, my basic belief that we are... We're covering our kids in so much cotton wool, they are woefully ill-prepared for the real world. And I'll explain why. When we brought in participation prizes for Sports Day, right, all that means is kids do not learn what losing involves, what not winning involves. You don't get participation prizes in the real world. You win, you lose, you lose a job, you get a job, whatever. <clears throat> There's no reality to this. Now all the films are being sanitised because apparently kids can't deal with these. I'm fine. I watched all these films. It didn't turn me into some corrupted mass murderer or make me flake out. It just... It was a film that had that sad moment and your heart goes like that when, when you watch it. What's wrong with allowing kids to watch the reality? Well, I don't agree with your first bit because, I, you know, we, we actually do have participation prizes in life and that is just, you know, not being... We don't. Vets, not being number what, what, what one. Don't. Taxes? At not all times are you number I one. I can tell Sometimes you, in, in this game, you don't. In the fine. media, you don't. No-one gives you a prize for coming eighth. 
Well, some or last. Things, you know, no, you don't. Maybe uh, I would like one. No, no. Uh, the, uh, the British press awards, for um, example, nobody, no newspaper gets <laughs> but, an award for coming last. But can I say on your second point there, you know, we actually already did soften these fairy tales. You know, these all originate from mm. Grimm's fairy tales. You I know, like the Grimm but version. But hang on, but you look at The Little Mermaid and that was Hans Christian Andersen and it was a really gruesome mm. tale. You know, we already did yes, soften I them like down. I like gruesome tales. Yeah, but we already did soften them down. So now when we're talking about... My daughter, about, look, Grace, my I daughter, my daughter's nearly 12. She writes, like, really quite full-on gruesome stuff, right? And I... It's fascinating. Got a very creative mind, very febrile mind, very you know all over the place. But she writes really riveting things. But it's often based on fantastical stuff, right? This is what we all grew up with. I just why are we say, why are we trying to pretend the real world is a good thing? Someone at Disney is a marketing genius <laughs> because they are in the news every week, yeah. every month. We've remade this show, and the character is a different race or we're cutting this scene and it's going to really annoy Piers Morgan and it's going to be all over his show mm. for weeks and weeks and weeks yeah. and weeks. And even though he hates it, Piers Morgan is going to go to the cinema and he's going to watch that film and everyone who watches his show no, is going to watch that show, is going to know that Bambi's coming out Bambi. again Look. and it's going to make us tons and tons if of money. If I can't watch Bambi's mother being killed, I'm not going to watch it. Esther? <laughs> what a horror story. Look, I wasn't a fan of like Snow Beige and the Southern Genderless Widgets or whatever it turned out to be. <laughs> but, 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 I do thing the overarching point is make new stories for the love of god stop remaking yes. them and just making them you know yellow and green and you know having some one-legged chinese trans person or whatever just make new stories and it's interesting That's to me that ernest was convinced that i have evolved to a new place on this stuff right i haven't i'm exactly the same person i've always been but the the sort of the world that i thought the liberal world was about has changed so dramatically this woke stuff is completely mad most of the time I don't agree. I don't think you would have read your children, The Grimm's Fairy Tales. Yes, of course oh, I would. I've gone for the nice softened version. Of course I would. You would have gone for the nice, because you would, you'd like the soft version And yourself. my kids, if we play sport, we play to win, right? I've never given them an inch. Now, the older <laughs> ones beat me. OK, good. The but they've learned the joy of beating their dad, because I didn't let them ever win when they were kids. I'd rather beat them 10-0 mm. than let them win or score a goal. I mean, part of the problem with what we were discussing before this whole knife crime epidemic is actually we do have this society that consistently tells people they're either winners or losers yes. based on how much money they earn, based on whether or not they have a good car. And there are the same people who end up consistently on top as winners, the same people who end up consistently on top as losers, and the people who feel like they are losers because there are no paths for them to change their lives or to change anything about themselves end up basically taking their revenge either on themselves or on the rest of society. That is what you have when you have a society that is structured basically by telling people you're worth something and you're not so worth in your world you everyone's a winner trophies. even if they're lazy work shy don't put the shift in they're still winners no, in my your world is a world in which people are different and cannot be compared by weird little league tables that tell you if you have more money then you're a better person i don't i think money's got nothing to do with it but it does you know no, we no. live in an incredibly material there are society. there are for example there are brilliant nurses where money is not and they get paid nothing because we not, don't value them because we tell them that what they're doing isn't worth it money is not a comparative thing but in it hospitals is. it's, not. it's about how good you are as a Why nurse? do you think people like Andrew Tate are up there being like, oh, I have loads of guns and loads of Range Rovers and loads of women, Andrew and that Tate, makes me a good man? Andrew Tate has become hugely is... popular with young men because he is you out have there... status anxiety. He is out there, for better or worse, and I think there are equal doses of both of him, for better or worse, he is a voice defending young men when actually every other voice out at the moment attacks Andrew Tate is a voice speaking to men with status anxiety, telling them, society yes. tells you you're a loser because yeah. you can't get a job and you don't have any money. 
buy a load of guns, abuse women, get a Range Rover, and then you'll be worth something. And that's so dumb. All right. Like, that's not how you and create a good man. need the participation medal. That's just what <laughs> you need. I, I think, some of I us think just need all, it, you know? You're not going to get one, either. Inequality in society. I think there will always be winners and losers, and I think it's the yeah. way we handle it. To, to, to say that, actually, we need a society that doesn't have winners or losers is quite It's frankly, not that we need a society that don't have winners ridiculous. and losers. It's never going to be the case. Unfortunately, I now win because I get to stay on the show. You three lose because you're being removed from the show. And yet you'll invite us back. Anyway, exactly. you know what? <laughs> against my better judgment, yes, I will. Uh, lovely to see you all. And says the next powerlifter, April Hutchinson, faces losing her career for speaking out on trans competitors in women's sport. Powerlifting. She's live in the studio next. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Will I get a better interview roughing you up a bit? Will I get the real Zlatan then? You want to play with fire, I will bring you fire, but I will burn you. When I say I am God, you think I'm joking or not? You tell me. I'm not joking. I could see you playing a Bond villain. I would smash James Bond. I'm very expensive. I don't work for free. Pep Guardiola, you called him a coward with no balls. You said when you buy me, you're buying a Ferrari. I bring my Ferrari. When you score a goal, is it better than sex? Sex is better. Whoever thinks they're friend, he has a problem with his sex. <laughs> he should get help. Why have you never asked your partner, Elena, to marry you? I have. Amina Raiola, who died last year. It was a big loss because he was not only agent for me, he was everything. I still miss him. We all miss him. There's only one thing you got wrong. I didn't go to Arsenal. I don't do trials. No, no, you don't understand. I don't do trials. I'm the best. His own censor. the rest.
Welcome back to Uncensored. That is an unmissable exclusive interview. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, one of the most charismatic and best strikers the football has ever seen, retired several months ago. This is his first big interview since then. We had two hours together, and we'll run the highlights of that in a special on Thursday night, and then the whole thing will be available after that. It is a riveting watch. What a character. Well, a week ago, I interviewed two former angling stars who quit the England women's team over a transgender teammate they thought had an unfair advantage. The sports international governing body has now ruled that male-born competitors cannot take on women because their physical power gives them an unfair advantage. So some common sense, again, prevailing in the world of women's sport. But the fight continues in many other women's sports. Canadian powerlifter April Hutchinson has taken a stand against trans women in her sport, facing a backlash for doing so. Well, now a video has emerged of her rival, Anne Andres, a male-to-female trans athlete who holds the women's record in Canada, appearing to mock women for being weak. Why is women's bench so bad? I mean, not compared to me. We all know that I'm a tranny freak, so that doesn't count. And no, we're not talking about Mackenzie Lee. She's got little T-Rex arms and she's like 400 pounds of chest muscle, apparently. I mean, standard bench in powerlifting competition for women. I literally don't understand why it's so bad. Well, Team Canada powerlifter Abel Hutchinson joins me now. Well, welcome to Piers Morgan Says. Thank you for coming to the studio. Um, Anne Andritz, who is a biological male who's transgendered, currently holds four of the five provincial records, the highest deadlift of all ages in Canada. Um, if Anne Andritz competed with males, then she would place around 6,000. There, right there, is the inequality, the unfairness that we're seeing in many sports, but particularly a sport like yours. Yeah, so you have powerlifting, which is a pure strength sport. Um, males have an advantage of 60 to 70% advantage over females. You hear Anne talking about the bench press. Why is bench press so weak for females? We're not designed for bench press. We don't have the, the right muscle mass for bench press. So, therefore, we will be weaker. When you hear her mocking, really, the whole situation, how does that make you feel? I mean, it's, it's, the whole thing is disgusting. It's, it's disgraceful. It's disheartening. It's uh, even more disheartening that the Federation allows this to happen. I am the one being punished for speaking truth, yet he can mock females and say, you know, call me a bigot, uh, incite hate, and nothing's being done about that. But I'm the one being silenced by my Federation. What is going to happen to you? Well, most recently, uh, I, I've been threatened with suspension. I, two weeks ago, I received a letter from my Federation stating that you cannot call Anne a biological male that goes against the code of ethics... You know, because in their policy, they do ask that we use pronouns. Mm. They don't force you to, but they ask also. Um, but, but, but she is a biological male. I mean, I'm perfectly prepared to call her Anne, her name that she'd mm -hmm. prefer to be called. That's fine. But she's a biological male, a transgender athlete who's now destroying female competitors in women's sport. I mean, to me, again, but particularly in this uh, powerlifting, it's so obvious... <laughs> That if someone would come 6,000 competing against men but is winning against women, there's the problem. Exactly. Now, just recently, the Strongman Corporation in Canada, uh, we spoke out against they had a transgender athlete. They actually changed their policy to create a separate category. Right. So simple. And that's all we've been asking is for a separate category. To me, it's very simple. What, what should happen is you either compete against your biological sex, 
So if you're a trans woman, you would compete against biological males, as most of them have done before in sport, mm -hmm. massively less successfully, it should be noted, or you have a completely new category. Easy peasy. Yeah, you think mean, it'd be that easy. But yes, yes. And there are, because there are far more people now identifying as men or women, different to their biological sex, th these categories would be quite well... Uh, I would imagine well stocked with people, right? There'd be lots of people wanting to do it. No, exactly. Yeah. Well, my federation, actually, I think they've gone rogue. They've done their own thing. They've created an inclusion policy. Mm. So you could identify as a female tomorrow, Pierce, take all the records, crush it in the women's category, and then go back to being a man the next day. That, I mean, that's something Martina Navratilova said very early on, and she was accused of being a bigot. One of the biggest LGBTQ advocates probably ever mm. in sport she was accused of being bigoted. I mean, this is the sort of go... This is the, the sort of... I don't know what you would call it, but it's the instant reaction. Every time anyone in your position, or Martina or whatever, they raise a concern about this obvious unfairness. If I would call it cheating. I mean, just it's cheating. Yes. To me, it has the same effect as doping, right, in the sense it gives somebody an unfair advantage. We all know this, but people like you, brave enough to put your head over the parapet, you get shot down and called bigoted, transphobic and so on. Well, exactly. I mean, I've been called that word I don't know how many times now. I am, it's not transphobic to ask for fairness in women's sports. Right. It's a word they use to silence you. Well, I'm not going to be silenced. Do you have any problem with transgender people? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I have a problem with uh, transgender athletes going into women's sports, yeah. or AKA biological men, yeah. taking women's podium spots, sponsors, uh, medals. And you never see it the other way around with never. trans men. Exactly, never. It doesn't happen because no. trans men actually have an inferior disadvantage when they compete against biological men. Not Obviously, exactly. because they're biological females. So there's a reason, I always say, there's a reason the Olympics, you split the genders up. If you yes. didn't, if you made it gender neutral, the next Olympics, women would win about two gold medals, if they were lucky, in the entire tournament. Yeah. Well, there's a reason why there's categories. I'm in the Masters, so I compete between 40 and 50 years old. Yeah. There's people from 50 to 60. There's juniors. Like, I could identify as a junior tomorrow and go crush the juniors. Right, you know? exactly. So and if you had to compete in your category of 40 to 50 Masters against only biological males who identified now as women but had competed in powerlifting in that category, how would you get on? Oh, well... <laughs> I think the, the answer's for itself, not well, so... I mean, you wouldn't win anything, right? No, nothing. <laughs> so your chances of being able to be successful in your sport yeah. are massively eroded simply because people with an unfair physical advantage have come along and decided they want to be you. Exactly. And, and this particular person, Anne, I mean, he's taken records that basically people that have been training for 10 years mm. haven't even touched a number. Like a deadlift of 573 pounds is unheard of, especially by a 40-year-old. So. Are you going to sue the Federation? Well, I, I do have an attorney um, that's in the works right now. Mm. I do have to respond to their letter of disciplinary, but it is in the works, yes. And I'm actually um, raising money right now for legal fees to pay the lawyers. So. I think it is ridiculous that people like you are put through this hell for spelling out the bleeding obvious. Yes. I do think it's ridiculous. And we keep hammering this on this programme because I think most right-minded people know how ridiculous it is and how unfair it is. But thank you for coming in. I wish you good luck. And we will keep hammering this drum until common sense prevails in every sport. Yes, for sure. And I just want to uh, give you this as a gift because it is Women's History Month in Canada. Ah! So I made this shirt... For you. Keep female sports female. So make, I can, let's you know make what? this global as well. You know what? I will happily endorse that T-shirt because they should be. 
and women's uh, rights to fairness and equality should trump stupid allegations of being transphobic. I've no problem with any trans people. I wish them all the very best. I want them to have fairness and equality in their lives, absolutely, but not when it erodes women's rights to fairness and equality. That is just unfair and unequal. Yeah, Thanks for coming exactly. in. Thank you. the next, the unsolved murder of Tupac Shakur has been the subject of speculation for 30 years. Police have at last arrested and charged a man for the shooting in Las Vegas in 1996. Next, I speak to DJ Vlad, a man who, have helped, who may have helped uncover the truth by interviewing the suspect. Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored. It was a question that gripped the world. Who killed Tupac Shakur, the 25-year-old rapper, considered one of the most influential artists of all time, was gunned down in Las Vegas in 1996. Well, on Friday, Dwayne Keith D. Davis was indicted on one count of murder with a deadly weapon in relation to the killing. DJ Vlad, a major commentator in the hip-hop industry for years, admitted that police in Las Vegas asked him to help their investigation after he interviewed Keefe D for his own show. And DJ Vlad and you joins said me Tupac now. Tupac pulled out a gun. It looked like he was reaching, yeah. Yeah, it did. He okay. Was, yeah. Did you actually see a gun? No, oh, shit. Once he got the reaching, I got the ducking. So someone from your car That's what I started mean. shooting at Tupac and Shook. So Orlando shot his car across Dre. He leaned over on the window. We rolled down the window, popped. They would throw on my side. I would pop them. You know what I'm saying? But they was on the other side. Right. Well, DJ Vlad joins me now. DJ Vlad, thank you very much indeed for joining the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I know you've, you've studied this case uh, for so long. And these interviews that you did uh, with Keefe D, they've turned out to be extremely significant in this investigation, leading, in fact, to him being arrested and indicted. When you heard that news, how did you feel? Well, I mean, the goal wasn't really to get anyone arrested. It was really just to get the truth of the matter. Uh, the story about Orlando Anderson killing Tupac, I've known since around 2007. So this is, was essentially the worst kept secret in LA. Uh, everyone knew about it, but there were no arrests, there was no convictions, there was no anything, there was no actual proof. So there was a lot of conspiracy theories around it. So uh, around 2008, uh, when I first heard the Keefe confession tapes that Greg Kading got, um, you know, then I found out there was a book uh, that was about to come out. Uh, I got a hold of Keefe D and his co-writer, and uh, we scheduled an interview, and we just went from there. Mm. I mean, it, it, he appears to have incriminated himself in this interview, certainly the last one. Did you believe he was doing that as you interviewed him? Well, I think that he believed that he had a level of immunity when he did the proffer agreement. Uh, I also, I think at the time, he was saying that he had cancer, so maybe he didn't think he had uh, much time to live. Uh, so he was just kind of letting it loose at, at that point. But, um, you know, it was, it was a little bit crazy that he actually sat down and we did everything. And when I asked him about it, sometimes he would try to dodge certain questions, but ultimately I used the book as a blueprint. So whenever a question wouldn't get answered, I said, well, the book said X, Y, and Z. And then at that point, he kind of went along with the, you know, what was written in the book. It's been reported that you have resisted efforts by the police to hand over all the unedited 
tapes. Uh, is that true? And if so, why? Yeah, it's true. I mean, ultimately, people that we have on our show, uh, we, we don't turn around and cooperate against those same people with the police. Uh, for me, just in terms of business-wise and my ethics and so forth, I just feel that's something wrong. Uh, so when Las Vegas police reached out to me multiple times, I just never responded. Uh, I think what they did ultimately want was the raw footage. That was an email that they sent after a couple of phone calls went unanswered. Um, ultimately, if you know the style uh, of our footage, everything that we film gets released. So I think there's a little bit of a barking up the wrong tree situation, uh, but maybe they thought there was a, a gotcha on there in the footage that was unreleased, which I'm not aware of it mm -hmm. since everything did get released. But ultimately, we don't cooperate with the police. And, you know, we've had situations where police have tried to get footage from us and we've had our lawyers step in and actually block it. Are you concerned? I mean, it's, you know, I've done many interviews, including crime interviews, actually, over the years. And there's always a certain element of concern as an interviewer when you stray into that kind of territory about repercussions from people involved. I mean, given there's now been an indictment here, are you worried about repercussions against you? I don't worry about doing my job. I've been doing uh, Vlad TV for 15 years now. We've covered a lot of very serious issues. We've interviewed like mass murderers like Sammy the Bull and, and so forth. Uh, so I don't really worry when it comes to doing my job. My job supersedes any level of concern or fear or anything else like that. And ultimately, you know, if I ever feel there is a situation where there might be some danger, I always move with armed security. You, you famously a very big fan of, of Tupac, as of course millions of people were, and it remained one of the great mysteries about this, if it turns out that your interviews have helped lead to solving this mystery, will you feel a sense of uh, closure for Tupac and his family? Well, I mean, for me, the closure came four years ago when I did the interview. Uh, there was a lot of conspiracy theories when it comes to Tupac. There was that, you know, Suge had him set up. There was the government did it. There was the first responder had a body that he switched. The Tupac is living in Cuba somewhere. There's, there's a lot of crazy theories out there. So for me, when I did the interview four years ago and we went through the entire story, you know, really Keefe D's entire life story, but really leading up to what happened from Orlando getting jumped at the mall to, you know, the next few steps mm -hmm. to them going to Vegas to what happened, you know, during the fight to what happened afterwards. Uh, that essentially told the story. Yeah. You know, I've been saying for years that I solved the, I solved the Tupac murder. Right. Uh, you know, when it comes to the family, I've had various family members uh, reach out through people to say they're very happy about it. But the thing about it is, um, you know, I, I know people that were very close to Tupac's mother, uh, Afini Shakur, and they all told me that while she was alive, she did not care about right. the police solving this case. Uh, the Shakur family had a very, you know, you know, bad relationship with the police. Vlad, we've run out of time. Was I'm, pregnant. I'm really sorry. I'd love to have done more of this. Thank you very much for a great interview. I've been following no you problem. for a long time and you're great at what you do and Thank I congratulate you. you on this. Thank you very much indeed. Interesting guy. Whatever you're up to, keep it uncensored. Good night. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.